I'd like to welcome you once again to this Sunday morning. My name is Jeff, one of the elders here at the church. Glad you've come to be with us as we worship Christ, as he's worthy of our worship. We're going to continue on in our study through Acts chapter 10. I'm going to be preaching through Acts chapter 10, most specifically verses 34 through 43. Today we are in week four of five of the story of Peter and Cornelius uh, again in chapter 10. So if you would please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can uh, feel free to use one of the Bibles in front of you. The page number there will be 864 and into 865. And as you're doing that, as typically each Sunday I ask of you, uh, I would love for you to consider filling out a Connect card. Those cards are really a, a fantastic way for us to know to know you, to know how we can pray for you, if we might be of service to you. So members, regular attenders, visitors, please everybody fill one of those Connect cards. They're also there right there in front of you. There's white boxes up here by the windows and a black box over by the resource wall that you can drop them in. Um, They are, again, a big help to us. And our tradition here at Maranatha is to stand at the reading of God's Word. So Carol Torres is going to read it for us today. So if you would please, if you're able, stand with us for the reading of His Word. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good and doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, through his name. This This is the word word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We're grateful, Lord, that you revealed yourself to us and that you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive it all. Lord, I pray that in this time, in this challenging text as we are brought to it, that you shape us, you give us greater faith, that you lead us to worship you, Lord, rightly and properly uh, in this moment as well as through the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray that you give us great faith. If we don't have faith, Lord, today be the day. If we have a foundation that we already stand on, Lord, let it be more secure. Lord, please give us the assurance that we need as we walk in this world. We trust you and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of your spirit. Amen. So we've been in the book of Acts for a little while, right? And honestly, there's been sort of this theme that's continued to come about, to be highlighted over and over again through this study of our time in the book of Acts. It's it's there in the scripture, and it happens... It happens actually so much that it quite possibly can be quite easily overlooked, this theme that continues to come up. And that is how the apostles and the new believers 
actively try to listen to God's word in order to follow after all that he commanded. There's this desire to know what God said and then follow after it. Just here in chapter 10 as an example, so this is where we already are, we read how Cornelius heard a message from God and then he immediately obeyed. Right? Peter as well, he received this vision or a direct message from God and then he immediately obeyed. And in verse 33, which we ended last week, there Cornelius tells Peter that his family, himself, and his friends, they were all there waiting to hear more about God and what he's going to command of them. And as he says this to Peter, as Cornelius calls for Peter to tell him all that God has said, we are meant to feel anticipation. We were meant to get the sense and, and recognize that Peter apparently is in the possession of something wonderful. Something that these people desire, that, they, that they're yearning for. And what we learn and what we come to realize is that they are about to be given the full truth of the good news of Jesus who is the Christ. That's what they're being given today. That's what we just read. The gospel of Jesus. Therefore, in that moment, in the moment between verse 33 and 34, there has developed this tremendous anticipation because there is often this glorious suspense right before legitimate transformation happens. There's this unique sort of sense that something wonderful is happening, and this is the kind of moment that, that takes all the sound out of a room. It's the kind of moment that you, you feel, that you can sense. And no one speaks, but then Peter speaks. And when he does, the spirit of life in a way sort of changes, it transforms the condition of the air. Everyone sort of, the hairs on their arms begin to prickle. You, you sort of have that sense of warmth run through your body. You have this, this feeling that something has changed, causing the people in the moment, in that moment, hopefully, prayerfully, in this moment today, to actively listen, to be in the room, to be present in the moment, and to hear what God desires to say. It's why Peter speaks. And Maranatha, I know that you know what Romans 10, 17 says. We've read it uh, a lot lately, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Peter had to speak, so he did. He spoke. And what is so wonderful about this interaction as Peter speaks uh, to those who are far from God, in reality, they were far from God. Cornelius, his family, and his friends, they were all far from God. Yes, Cornelius was considered a God-fearer, right? He was doing all the activities or as many activities as he could to try and be religiously faithful, but he was far from God. Peter begins with actually the freedom that the gospel provides for all people. So Cornelius was bound to these religious activities, but Peter begins with the freedom of the gospel. He said, verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, Maranatha, when you hear those words, you very well could be thinking, well, that's plain common sense, right? 
Of course this makes sense. Truth has no borders. Therefore, this is available to every nation. But for Peter and Cornelius, and really everyone else at this time in history, this truth would have been what F.F. Bruce said is a revolutionary revelation. This idea was completely new. It was a revolutionary revelation, although, as we've been learning, this has always been part of God's desire and design. From the beginning, this has been God's desire and design. Truly, God is not a God of partiality. In fact, even though this has been revolutionary to them, this is a revelation, this is, a, this is revolutionary to those people, the prophets of old have been talking about it again from the beginning. We touched on this a bit a, a, a few weeks back when Peter saw that vision, if you remember. It was Abraham in Genesis 17 who heard the news that he would be the father of a multitude of nations, right? Not nation, but nations, plural. Therefore, in that promise, we are shown the intentionality of God's desire and design, but really his love for all people groups, for all nations, for all tribes, tongues, and languages, in the way that he will and has desired to provide for all of his creation, even those who may be currently outside of the covenant community of God. He cares for all of his creation. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18 says this. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. But, Peter says, he lays down that truth. He lays down what is there in verses 34 and 35, and then he says, but this, mean, this means you must fear him and do what is right. Yes, that is true. God is not a God of partiality, but you must fear him and do what is right. Because that is how anyone is acceptable to him. Maranatha, God is not a God of partiality. And since that is true in the positive sense, it must also be true in the negative sense, meaning that God does not and will not favor some over others when it comes to sin. We have, to, we have to understand it goes both ways. Now, does that mean that Peter is preaching that all that Cornelius has to do is follow the law? That all he has to do is go back to those religious activities that he was already doing? Could it be that verse 34 is preaching and teaching that we can be saved by our own efforts in obedience? Of course not, right? That would be heretical. Of course, it couldn't be saying that. Rather, what Peter is saying, what Peter begins to tell all people who were there and all the people of the earth who have ears to hear, what he is expressing is the high command of the Christian life. Right? We're told to count the cost when we desire to follow after Christ. He is expressing the high command for the Christian life. To fear God is to have a proper reverence for him. That is what is meaning there. To fear God is to have a proper reverence for God that will then lead you to trust in him for all things, everything that's going on in your life, the good and the bad, which inevitably then will bring to the surface 
this proper evidence of genuine faith through what is and what will happen as right and obedient living. Our reverence brings about our obedience. As well, the reverse then, therefore, must be true. Sinful living proves wrong beliefs. If obedient living proves faithful beliefs, right kind of living, then sinful living proves wrong beliefs. Because, Maranatha, faith and worship and obedience is not God's suggestion for a better life. The gospel is not a suggestion for us to follow. Worshiping Jesus is not a suggestion that we must, we must follow through with. Obedience is not a suggestion of God for a better life. It is his command for all men and women on the earth because he is who he said that he is. That is why we follow. That is why we worship, because he is who he said that he is. And since we all have the same creator God, we are all then in need of the same suffering Savior. Every person on the earth has the same creator God, therefore we are all in need of the same suffering servant. Listen to Peter's words again. Let me read them again, and maybe you'll hear them a bit differently. Verse 34. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In my imagination, (laughs) the faces of the people and the feeling in the room would have been sort of tense. They would have just been staring at Peter, sort of like you are at me. Wondering what is he going to say next. And just as they received and we received the realness of the weight that is about to be placed on our shoulders in regards to um, sin and the circumstances of this world, our gracious Lord places a different sort of yoke on us, one that is actually able to be carried by his strength as we find ourselves recipients of his promised salvation. As the weight is about to be placed on your shoulders, our gracious God comes in and removes it and places a yoke of ease, of peace upon us. Which is exactly what Peter tells them next. Last week, I sort of outlined this passage for us at the end of the sermon. I said that Peter first gives a sort of reintroduction to Jesus there in verses 34 and 37. And then he talks about Christ's life in verse 38, his death in 39, his resurrection, his return as judge, and then his offer of salvation. This is how Peter outlined this sermon. So I'm just going to walk through these verses. I'm just going to walk through Peter's sermon for us. Peter goes on in verse 36, and he says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. Again, this is where Peter begins to preach about the word. 
This is where Peter starts to fill in the gaps for them. Those people that were there, he tells them about the one whom they'd already heard about. The one who is the word. About him who is from the beginning. That he truly was with God because he is God. This is Jesus the Messiah, the promised one that all the prophets are talking about. And whom they had already heard all of these incredible stories about. The one who is the light of the world and casts out the darkness. Who shines in the darkness. Peter addresses them and he says, you already know the stories of this man from Nazareth and how he claimed to be the Christ, meaning that he was claiming to be God's anointed one, the special one that was told to come from the beginning. You already know what he declared. So Peter preaches the gospel and what is the actual truth about this Jesus and how he is fully man and fully God. And he explains why that matters. Why it matters that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. And he begins with Jesus' life. He begins with Jesus' life in verse 38. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, as we begin here, we can realize that it's likely Peter wasn't this short with his explanation. Right? He wasn't probably that quick with his explanation of Jesus' baptism and all this oppression and, and, and stuff like that. He wasn't quick in this explanation, but rather this is just Luke again summarizing the event in order so he could succinctly retell this story to people, how he could report it back to the people that he was writing to. He is simply highlighting what Peter preached, which actually, interestingly enough, sort of follows the outline of Mark's gospel account. And Peter begins with Jesus' baptism because it was his anointing that God's prophets had promised. They had promised that this anointing would come and that it would identify him as who he is. Isaiah 61.1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, the, and opening the prisons to those who are bound. This is what happened to Jesus' baptism. This is why Peter's bringing it up. It, it matters. Jesus' baptism, our obedience in baptism, matters as we reflect and, 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 uh, and um, resemble the thing that Jesus and who he is. This is what happened to Jesus' baptisms. The Spirit of God descended from heaven in the form of a dove and came to rest on Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, God himself then spoke from heaven and declared that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is my son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus then, after that, continues to prove that he is who God said he was as he modeled what he came to the earth to do through all of those healings and uh, salvation and casting out demons, which then led to his death. Verse 39, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now Peter knows the importance of eyewitness testimony, which is why he 
is assuring Cornelius and those people who came together, who came to hear all that the Lord commanded, that he and the other apostles were there, that they were witnesses to all of this, and not just the miraculous works that the Lord did, but also to his death. You see, the Jewish elites, they were trying to make a statement when they sought to crucify Jesus. They were trying to to say something publicly about this man, Jesus, or at least they're trying to say how they felt about him. Because it's written down in God's law that anyone who was put to death by being hung on a tree, that man was to be considered cursed by God. They thought that they were doing something quite clever. They thought that they were, they thought that they knew what they were doing, but in reality, they were fulfilling prophecy. Right? They thought that they were doing something that would help Israel, but instead they were, they were fulfilling prophecy because the curse that Jesus bore on that tree, right? God's word does not fail. It does not come back void. God's word is true, but the curse that Jesus bore on that tree was not his. It was ours. He was cursed for us. He did die, but he was not left in the grave. He was not left in the grave because death had no claim on him. So Peter then tells them the real truth about Jesus' resurrection. Verse 40, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now Mark doesn't end, or Mark doesn't mention eating and drinking in his gospel, but Luke does. And Peter mentions it here because, again, his direct interaction with Jesus after the resurrection is more proof that Jesus actually is who he said that he is. This is what he is doing. He's building the case as a way to convince them, to woo them to the truth and the reality of who Jesus Christ actually is. And that he truly did die, but that he also rose from death, which is our evidence that he is the one who has authority over all things. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he was resurrected, this is our our, our genuine evidence that he is who he says that he is, and everything that he said is valid and true. Meaning that he is also the judge of all things. Verse 42, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Maranatha, in part, this is still a command for us. What's in there is still a command for us, that we too are meant to spread the message that God's kingdom has come in and through Jesus, who is the Christ, but also that he is the one who has been divinely appointed to be the judge over all people. We are to come under his authority. We can't get away from this, Maranatha, and we shouldn't even though we often try. We shouldn't try to get away from Jesus' authority. Daniel 7 gives us this picture of how Jesus wants for us to know him. And it's incredibly helpful. Um, He is the son of man, Daniel says. In fact, this is also the title that Jesus used most often for himself as he was displaying his works and his mights and the signs of pointing to what he came here to do. So let me just read it again. I know we've read this prophecy before, but the prophet Daniel writes this in chapter 7, 
Verses 13 and 14, he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is who Jesus wanted us to know him as. Now the functional purpose of Jesus' life death and resurrection was not only to prove and proclaim that he is the one who will execute God's just judgments, but it was also to save the lost. It wasn't just to declare him as the judge, but it was to save the lost from the imprisonment of death. He came to break the shackles of our sinfulness. After all, it was by that same authority that Jesus said about himself as he healed the paralyzed man in Mark 2, but that you may know that the Son of Man, again, there's that title, the Son of Man, so it comes with all sorts of things, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You see, it is the just and righteous judge that must punish sin. But it is also that same judge that has the power and authority to set us free. He would not be good. He would not be just. He would not be righteous if he did not punish sin. But he is also the judge who has the power and authority to forgive sin. To set us free. Therefore, lastly, Peter finishes by telling them and us that this is what is available to us. Because that Jesus is who he is, this is now what is available for all people to be received by faith. And again, this is not new news. Right? He says in verse 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness, meaning everything that the law and prophets reveal, everything that's been written down, everything that's been told, all of it speaks about Jesus and what he desires and designed to happen. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. That's the glorious news of the gospel. As you sit there and you think of all the ways that you've been disobedient or you haven't followed in faith, listen to 43, to all people, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Maranatha, this is not simply what our Messiah desires to happen. It is what he promises to happen. This is what he has promised. Therefore, it will come true. We can follow rules. Right? People can follow rules. They can actually fit in anywhere that they want to fit in. If on the outside, they look like what they find valuable and profitable. We can fit in all different places in this world. But the expectation of Christianity is not just outward obedience. Rather, the heart of the matter has to do with worship. Worship. What is it that is actually motivating your actions? What is leading you to do what you do and not do? That is just as important. What is leading you to do what you do as well as what not to do? The Lord our God, 
who is creator of all things, his desire and his design for all of us is to worship him alone. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. His desire and design for all of us is to worship him alone while we live for a time in this world in which he has placed us in. And the way that we worship him is by yielding to him. Is by yielding to him. Following his word. We have his word. We know what he has commanded for all of us to follow in the way that we are to do so. We have no excuse. We have his word. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to believe? And are you willing to follow after all that he has declared? I pray that that's true of us. Let me end with this passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It says, for this reason, for this call of obedience, this reality that we have been saved, both Jew and Gentile, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the glorious news. That is the gift that we've been given in the gospel. That is where our peace comes from. Let it be true of us, Maranatha. Let's pray. Father, help us to walk in obedience, Lord. Help us to do it in a way that brings joy and peace to our soul, to our spirit. Lord, we lay down ourselves. We, we want to be sacrifices for you. We want to give of all of ourselves, Lord, and it's challenging at times, even in the times we don't respond well to your love. Help us, Father. Strengthen us. Give us greater faith. We love you. We trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. By the power of your spirit, amen.